You know that feeling when you're driving down the highway and you pass a police car, and for a moment your shoulders tense up. You're not doing anything wrong, you're not speeding, it's not like you're carrying drugs or bodies in the trunk, but your blood pressure spikes, you slow down to like five miles below the speed limit, all because you think you're being watched. Knowing that someone could be watching you changes how you behave. It's a kind of chilling effect, and it happens online, too. I'm Daniel Dennis-Jones. Today on Radio Berkman, we're looking at chilling effects caused by the laws and policies we make for the internet. Specifically, we're talking to John Penny. His research has looked at chilling effects from both copyright law and U.S. government surveillance policies revealed by the Edward Snowden leaks. So let's just take it back a sec and explain a little about what John discovered in these two case studies. We'll start with Snowden, which you may remember, but we'll do a quick recap anyway. Edward Snowden leaked over a million classified government documents to the press in 2013. The information he gave to The Guardian and The Washington Post revealed that the federal government had been doing large-scale surveillance on American citizens. This all happened in June of 2013. When the news reports came out, terms like government surveillance and NSA became pretty normal to hear. In fact, almost 9 out of 10 Americans surveyed said they were familiar with the term PRISM, the name the government gave to one of their surveillance programs. In other words, almost everyone knew the government might be monitoring them. Penny wanted to know how internet habits changed from the months leading up to June 2013 to the months following. So he focused on Wikipedia articles, starting with articles that corresponded to 48 keywords mentioned in a Department of Homeland Security manual from the leaks. Terms like jihad, dirty bomb, car bomb. Then he ran an online survey to give these terms a privacy ranking, essentially asking, how concerned would you be if the government discovered you were searching this word or term? 31 of those terms emerged as particularly sensitive. Of those 31, I do the final analysis and you see, interestingly enough, you see an increasing trend, again, about 34,000 monthly new views per month prior to June 2013. Over June, you have a statistically significant drop off in June of about 260,000 views and then post and you actually have a steady decline um, month to month to month. So the trend the overall trend of the day has actually reversed. These Wikipedia articles were increasingly popular until the Snowden leaks. From then on, their popularity actually decreased. And that's where we spot the chilling effect. The US government has responded to concerns arising from the leaks saying that surveillance is critical to prevent terrorism and other criminal activity. But Penny's research has highlighted the problematic side effects of surveillance on a broader population. Another of Penny's studies found copyright laws had a similar chilling effect on the way people behave online. The most influential law protecting copyright on the internet is called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, or DMCA. Here's how it works. If you think someone is using your copyrighted work, a song, a video, something you wrote, you can send them something called a takedown notice. The notice first goes to the website hosting the material, like YouTube or Instagram. And then they'll send a personalized notice to the person who put the material up. It's one thing to have sort of the possibility that government is out there is monitoring you. But when you receive a personalized legal threat right. based on your activities, that actually has a very significant chilling effect. As the notices become more personalized, the chilling effect becomes greater. Penny calls this the chilling effect curve. For his study, he looked at blogs hosted by Google that had received takedown notices. He then looked at whether the post was still up or in some cases, if the blog was still there. 
Then he examined each notice individually and judged whether the takedown notice was correct or mistaken. And a lot of the cases could have been totally illegal. For example, you can cite an excerpt of someone else's writing on your blog without fringing on copyright, or host a thumbnail of an image under fair use. So receiving a takedown notice doesn't mean you actually broke the law, it just means someone thinks you might have broken the law. But to nearly 50% of users targeted under the DMCA, just the hint that they might have been using someone else's work incorrectly was enough for them to allow their blog post to get taken down. And with 1 billion takedown requests being filed every year, a small margin of 7 to 10% of web users who let their work be taken down, even though they are likely to have done nothing illegal, is a lot of users. Because they have this threat, they just avoid fighting back. I'm curious in general, like, why are we concerned that people's behaviors are changed in the direction of silence or avoiding researching certain controversial topics because of a policy interaction? Why, why, why do we worry about that? Why does that concern us? I think on one level, it's just like a basic concern of human freedom, human rights, and civil liberties, right? That with each new form of government regulation, each new law, you have these subtle conforming effects, right? So you're less willing to access controversial or sensitive content. You're less willing to express or create online out of the concern that you might receive a DMCA notice and end up in court. So on one level, I think it's just a very basic concern about people's rights and being able to express and create and innovate without worries that they might end up on the other end of the law. But on a deeper level, and I think you really see this on the Wikipedia case study, is that if you look at the platforms that are being impacted here, a healthy democracy is one where you have a citizenry which is very informed. So if you're having a public debate over government law and policy, over how to deal with national security threats like terrorism. You want to have citizens who feel freely about gathering the necessary information that they need in order to come to an informed decision about laws, policies, other government actions, and the politicians that support them. I wonder if there's, is, is there kind of a moral um, judgment in, in labeling something a chilling effect? In other words, the kind of speech that is is silenced or the kind of behavior that's uh, discouraged by this action is something that we want when we call it a chilling effect we we want the behavior to continue so in other words we're not we're not catching things like uh, illegal child pornography or right. or uh, harassment and abuse or th- uh, or like threats of violence in right. this kind of same net right so Our entire criminal law system is based on the assumption that criminal law statutes do have a deterrent effect on illegal activities, right? Um, And you could argue that's a kind of chilling effect that anti, you know, so statutes that punish murder harshly aims to have a chilling effect on people committing murder. And so I think there are some chilling effects which are good, right? What I'm concerned with and what often chilling effects literature is concerned with is that other question is looking at legal activities that are actually legal, constitutionally protected activities that in often cases are actually desirous. So you want people to be informed about terrorism related content so they can make informed decisions about important public policy debates happening within their democratic societies. 
for the record, I don't think that any actual terrorists are actually captured in this data. They're more likely going to be gathering this information in other sort of quarters. I think that what you're looking at in this data is just average internet users that are now aware of this and are just a little bit more paranoid about what the government is doing after the Snowden revelations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like a people will often say like if you aren't doing anything illegal you don't have anything to hide but these the, these people are like definitely not doing anything illegal right. and they're still but they're still like motivated to kind of uh behave differently because they're worried about being caught up that's right i mean and that's why um you have different theories of chilling effects right so the the original theory formulated by frederick shower back in 1978 he was examining vague statutes and vague laws and his concern was as he articulated it was that certain vague statutes and vague laws would have a chilling effect on people's First Amendment rights. So the idea there is, um, so speech activities which are protected by the First Amendment in the United States would be potentially chilled or deterred by certain vague laws and statutes which have a harsh punishment. Build into that the uncertainties in the legal process that people aren't going to bother defending their rights because they don't know if they'll actually win in the end. And the high costs associated with going to court and litigating, you get a chilling or deterrent effect there. When you compare that to the other side, when you look at something like Wikipedia, it's, it's, you're looking at a kind of activity that's entirely um, legal. And yet there's some suggestion that there is still a potentially a chilling effect. So you have to look at some other theory. This is, I think what's going on here is not the shower, Frederick Shower chilling effect theory, theoretical concern as to real legal punishment. That I'm concerned that if I do this activity, I'm going to get punished and go to jail. And if I defend my rights, there's uncertainties that I don't know everything's going to be fine. It's something else. It's something more akin to what Daniel Solov talks about when he writes about viewing surveillance programs by government, thinking about it in terms of environmental pollution, uh, and that people, it just leads to a, a subtle conforming effect. It deters certain activities in a more subtle way, um, but that can lead to less diversity, less expressed opinion. But it's not just an outright concern about legal punishment. It's something more nuanced and complex and uh, hopefully my research provides at least some insight on that and that you have to think about chilling effects. I think using all of these theories, because I think any one of them could explain phenomena in a given situation. But at least what my research shows is that there's no one unified theory. You've got to think about this in different ways. Cool. Well, thank you very much, John. You're welcome. Great to be here. Thanks for asking me on. John Penny is a lawyer, Oxford researcher, and research fellow at the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab. You can find out more about him and his recent research at the show notes for today's episode at cyber.law.harvard.edu. You should also check out the Lumen Database at lumendatabase.org. The Lumen Database collects and analyzes legal complaints and requests for removal of online materials so that people can study the prevalence of legal threats and let internet users see the source of content removals. This week's episode of Radio Berkman was produced by me, Daniel Dennis-Jones, with additional production help writing and editing from Elizabeth Gillis from the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts.